Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, good morning, Montrose Church. It's uh, been another crazy week and uh, a little hard to believe the things that are unfolding uh, in our country, in our culture, in our world. It's, uh, it's a little hard to imagine um, all the crazy rhetoric, all of the divisiveness, all of the things that are going on. Um, I heard a pastor friend of mine uh, talking about it this week, and uh, he said, this is what happens when people no longer believe that their ultimate joy and their ultimate purpose and their ultimate meaning come from a higher power. Uh, when they start to believe that politics in the country uh, are responsible to fulfill our lives, when that's all there is, when human institutions are all that's left to bring happiness and affirmation and justice and mercy and love and all of those things that we aspire to, uh, then there is a kind of desperation that drives politics. And there's kind of desperation that drives our responses to politics and our responses to people who don't think like us or act like us. And we've seen that displayed in crazy, uh, wild, inappropriate ways this week. And, uh, and so uh, I just, as we gather uh, in this moment, we're talking about being rooted in hope. Uh, I, I hope that for you and I, um, we, we are about something way more than this. We've been talking about this for years and years, decades, uh, but especially we've been talking about it in this last year uh, as we've settled down to re-examine what's most important in life and what matters. And the fact that uh, we belong to a kingdom that is above all kingdoms, that we believe ourselves to be, as taught in Scripture, citizens of, a, of the kingdom of God sent here to colonize and create the kingdom alive on earth, a kingdom that could never, never be fulfilled in the context of a government, but a, a kingdom that is fulfilled out of the hearts and lives of people that have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the power of their own goodness or their own nobility or their own wisdom or their own insights, but, but have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Something's changed in them, a reconnection to the power of God, a reconnection and a restoration to the to the love of God and to the grace of God and to the mercy of God and to the providence of God. And so uh, that's really uh, what we're talking about when we think about being rooted in hope and thinking about it out of Romans chapter eight. So here's what's going to happen today. And uh, obviously I am remotely doing this again today. Um, we, uh, as we've talked about, there's been a little confusion. I sent out an email, but um, there was some exposure uh, in our household uh, over the holiday. And so we locked down uh, to, to just protect anyone else. Uh, I've been symptom free. I, you know, uh, I'll get tested here in the next couple of days just to be sure before mixing and mingling and getting back out. Uh, but uh, we're doing this out of abundance of caution. We continue to take this seriously. Uh, obviously, we've canceled our in-person gatherings for the month of January. And that is simply because uh, there are a number of households in our immediate congregation that have been affected, 
And uh, when the virus begins to get close like that, it just makes sense for us to back off for a few weeks. Uh, we're still going to be right here online. Uh, you can join. We're going to be together. We're going to get back to, uh, to in-person gatherings as soon as we can. Um, and, uh, and so we're in this together. Let's do our very best for each other as we think about that. So, so as we kind of jump in today, uh, I want us to talk a little bit about um, existentialism. Uh, so there's going to be some philosophy uh, and we're going to kind of dig into the meaning of life and why we're here. And we're talking specifically about the hope of living over dying and what that looks like from a scriptural perspective and what that means. And so uh, we're going to jump into that and I'm going to give you some stuff up front and then I'm going to read the passage to you. Uh, it's a powerful metaphor that Paul is using to encourage you and I to be rooted in hope and uh, hope is not wishing for something. Hope is being rooted in a place where deep in our soul, there's a peace because we know it's going to be okay. And we know it's going to be okay because God has promised that it's going to be okay. And we live that way and we think that way. And it's not just okay in some cosmic sense that ultimately it's okay, but it's okay for you. It's okay for your family. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God is in it with us and guiding us. So let's think about this a little bit. Uh, since the very beginning of time, human beings have been asking the question, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? What is this all about? How does it connect? What's my purpose? What's the meaning? And there's been all kinds of philosophical responses to this question. And so just to throw out a few of them, there's been rationalism and empiricism and Epicureanism and Stoicism and cynicism and Gnosticism. And so all of these approaches have been, you know, sort of propagated as offering us the, the meaning of life, you know, teaching us what it's all about. Uh, in, the, in the 19th century, Kierkegaard and Nietzsche began to explore, independent of one another, a kind of philosophy that really didn't take hold until after World War II. And because of the, the incredible destruction of World War II and what it did to the fabric of the global community and, and to, to the sense of well-being around the world, uh, it didn't take hold until really after that. And that movement became known as existentialism. And so fundamentally, what existentialism is about is about what it means uh, to exist, what it means to be alive. Uh, here's a definition from dictionary.com. I think it does a pretty good job of wrapping it up in a concise way. A philosophical movement that stresses the individual's unique position as a self-determining agent responsible for making meaningful, authentic choices in a universe that is seen as purposeless and irrational. Existentialism is associated especially with Heidegger, Jaspers, Marcel, Sartre, and is opposed to the philosophical rationalism and empiricism. So uh, boil that all down, and what it means is this. It means that uh, you and I have to figure out what it means to be alive what it means to exist. Uh, we have to define and discover our own purpose. And, and it's all within us to figure that out. And we're doing that in a context of a universe that makes no sense. We're doing it in the context of a universe where rationalism, rational thought, logic, knowledge, 
doesn't really work. It doesn't define truth. Just as you think you've got the logic of the universe figured out, something crazy happens. And now it no longer makes any sense. And so, so existentialism basically says that, that my life and your life only have meaning and purpose as we make choices that give it meaning and purpose. So here's, here's what it means for an existentialist to be alive. Go make a life. Go figure it out. Go have a purpose. Go, go do something that makes your life meaningful. And so it's a it's kind of the ultimate expression of of sort of self guidance and self fulfillment. Uh, and so as you kind of think about that, that that's sort of a dark way of thinking about it. Henry David Thoreau is really talking about the same thing. A long time ago, he didn't quite think that the universe didn't make all of that sense, but he understood this idea about you and I really searching for what it means to have a purposeful life. Listen to what he writes. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and to see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear, nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck all the morrow of life, to live so sturdily and Spartan-like as to put to rout all that was not life, to cut a broad swath, to shave close, to drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms. It's this passionate search for meaning. If I could close out the noise, if I could... I'm not resigning from the world. I'm getting away from the noise so that I can live a meaningful life. I can understand what it means. And so, uh, you know, long before there was existentialism, Thoreau is thinking about, and don't we all, don't you uh, want to find the meaning of life? I mean, none of us want to get to the end of life and die realizing we've never lived. That That's not what we're about. And so we're in this process of trying to figure it out. T.D. Jake says, the most dangerous thing in the world is to have no purpose. I think we see that in a lot of our culture and in a lot of our world. Uh, going back to our opening ideas and thoughts is we see chaos in our culture and politics and world because in some ways we've started to define our purpose by creating something some sort of a political realm in which all of the high values are espoused, which all the high values are put into place. But, but all the high values are only put into place in the kingdom of God. They really can't be put into place in these other places because something's out of sync. <laughs> Unless there is a, a God component in which we are being realigned in a way that the priorities are different. It's not about me. It's not about what I need. It's not about my selfish ideas. It's about something much bigger than that. And what we understand about human beings is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, and so we don't look to those institutions. I think most people are probably at this point in this conversation taking sides. Some of you are thinking, why are we doing this philosophical thing? And others are saying, finally, we're getting down to the heart of things that we ought to talk about, the meaning and the purpose of life. As if this isn't complicated enough, let's lay in another layer, and that is we are told by philosophers and writers uh, and psychologists that happiness and fulfillment and purpose are byproducts of something else, that you can't actually just go get them, that they are byproducts of something else. Victor Frankl writes it in a very powerful way. Don't aim at success. 
the more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it for success. Like happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than one's self. Powerful words. Uh, the philosopher Aldous Huxley writes these words, happiness is not achieved by the conscious pursuit of happiness. It is generally the byproduct of other activities. And so in this process, in fact, what seems to be consistent in all of this and in all of our ways of talking is that how we live and where we place our focus tells a great deal about the quality of the life that we will enjoy. What we choose, where we place our focus, how we believe has a great deal to do with the level of happiness and the process that's going to go on in the journey of our life. Aristotle wrote these words, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. It's not an act, but a habit. Thoreau could have been writing about our own culture when he said these words, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to every one who is striking at the root. I want you to think about that. I'm going to say it one more time. There are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to one who is striking at the root. And we live in a culture where we have so many institutions and organizations and people and movements that are striking at the branches of evil. But it is in Christian faith that we strike at the root of evil, the disconnection between us and the God who created us. And so we're thinking about what that is about. The suggestion in those lines of thinking are that choices matter. How we think matters. Our ideas and contributions matter. What you're thinking today, what words come out of you consistently in Scripture. It's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of his mouth, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This continuing idea that our ideas, our contributions, our words, our attitudes, our spirit, they all matter. They define in a very large way what the underlying hope is within our heart and within our so H. Stanley Judd writes these words, a good plan is like a roadmap. It shows the final destination and usually the best way to get there. And so my question in sharing that quote with you is this, do you have a plan? What does your roadmap look like? Does it seem to define the destination and the best way to get there? Or is it, I'm just surviving. I'm just getting through it. I'm just getting through the next day and the next day. And I can't wait till COVID is over. And I can't wait till this political climate changes. And I can't wait till people get along and there's more love in the world. And so I, I think it's a fair question. We really, in the, so far, we haven't uh, really dug into the question of faith in this question of existentialism and what it means to be out there and existing and all of that. But it's something that we ought to jump into. And here's the thing. Faith plays a very important role in this dance of human existence. It, it matters what you believe. And belief is something that's not irrational, it's transrational. And now I know that people have taken belief and turned it into irrational things. But what we're invited to is a belief that transcends 
the physical world. It's not just what we see. There's more. It's just not against what we see. It's just more. It's not irrational. It's transrational. This process of believing in things that are bigger than what we see is called faith. Faith is not ignorance. It's a choice. It's a way of seeing and believing certain things about the way the universe works and the meaning and the purpose of life. And Christian faith starts with a very simple premise. God so loved the world that God loves us. And most of us feel like we're in need of love. We feel like the world is in need of love. We ought to have more of it. There ought to be more of it for us and more of it for others and more of it everywhere we live and breathe. And so the Bible simply, simply states that there is a source of this love and that the ultimate calling, the ultimate kind of existence is to love the source of the love, to love God. And as a result of loving the source of the love, loving God, we are able, empowered to love others as we love ourselves. We love God. We love ourselves. We love others that there is this process in which this matter of belief is the core. It's a rational choice. We choose this. We don't have to believe this. We decide. We choose it. And it is not only a rational choice, but it's also a mystical choice. It has implications that are much, much bigger than us. C.S. Lewis says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. How's that going for you? How are you doing with that in the middle of 2021 and COVID and politics and the craziness of our world? Have you gone through a week in which you felt devastated, saddened, discouraged, overwhelmed, fearful? That's a part of it. But where is your faith in that process? You know, all of this human angst about the meaning of life, Jesus speaks these words, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it in abundance. And so the biblical call and vision is to choose life over death, that you and I are invited to choose life over death. And that's not some ultimate way of thinking. That's some practical way on a day-to-day -day basis of thinking. And so let me just ask you how it's going with you. Do you feel like that your life is opening up to more and more possibilities, or does it feel like it's shutting down more and more? That if you take away some of the social aspects of our life, does it still flourish and have meaning, or does it begin to diminish and grow? The biblical position or vision suggests that you and I are being pruned that you and I are being shaped and transformed into fruit bearers who bear fruit that can nourish the people around us and nourish the people in our world, that something's happening to us, a transformation is happening to us that is creating in us an ability to be a source of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. We have a purpose and die, tied into this worldview is a, is a choice that I'm living and not dying. 
So with all of that said, Paul is arguing very strongly for such a worldview. He's speaking it in a very specific way. He's speaking about a worldview, about an idea that builds up instead of tears down. And then he's inviting you and I to, to enter into that. So this is what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to take a deep breath and get quiet. I know sometimes when we're watching online, ah, things are crazy. So, you know, whatever, give the kids a cookie. But I'm going to read this passage to you, and I'd like for you to allow the Holy Spirit to really, to really talk to you, to really open your heart and mind as to what this is all about and the invitation that Paul is creating. And I just want you to listen, and I want you to think about your thoughts, you know, a metacognitive process, self-reflection. So here it is. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Romans 8, 12, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies that with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. All right, so how many of you, as I'm reading that, are thinking that what Paul is talking about is some end-of-life application, that he's speaking about the fact that, you know, uh, if you live the right way, then you have eternal life, but if you live the wrong way, it ends in death. Um, Because here's the thing, and I would guess that more than one of us have heard sermons about the end of life. Uh, based on this passage of Scripture. But Paul is not talking about something that happens to us after we die. He's talking about the choices of life and death as we live. He's talking about not arriving at death, finding out you've never lived. Arriving at death, finding out that you have never really discovered what it means to be alive, to exist. And so Paul builds into this passage this really massive metaphor to help you and I get rooted in our hope, to help you and I get rooted in our identity. And so as you think about that, let me just kind of jump into it. And I would say that most of us can understand at a personal level that that when we live by the flesh, most of us have journeyed in a way that we have chosen to go after some of those appetites, human appetites, and say, I'm going to find fulfillment because this is uh, urgent for me. And, and in that, we began to discover that the thing we thought would bring us life actually worked against us, and it led to parts of our heart and soul relationships dying. And so we have experienced in real time the truth of this. And so it's what Paul is talking about. So let's talk a little bit about the metaphor. He, Paul is really good about creating these big ideas And so here his big metaphor in this section of Romans 8 is about adoption. We are being adopted. And so for Paul, you know, again, he's writing in the book of Romans. This is the letter to the church at Rome. 
And so Roman adoption was a big deal. And in order to appreciate that, the first thing that you have to understand is the is what's called the Patria Potesta. The Patria Potesta was the father's great dominance over uh, his children, uh, his family. Um, the father had absolute control and power over the family. Um, and so in the Roman culture, a son never got out from under the authority of his father. It didn't matter how old he was. Didn't matter what happened or what he accomplished, what public office he might achieve, what success in the world he might achieve. Uh, in the Roman culture, a child was always the subject to the father. So because of this dominant power of the father, then adoption was a really big deal. Uh, it was a binding deal. It was seen as cosmic. It had, it had implications far beyond this world. Um, that's demonstrated. Claudius adopts Nero. Later, Nero decides to marry. Uh, and uh, though he has no blood relation, she is his sister because of the adoption. And there has to be new laws passed to allow Nero to marry. They're, they believed in this cosmic power of the adoption. And the process involved two stages. And the first stage was known as the Mancipatio. And the Mancipatio was uh, a process by which the father put his son up for sale, put his child up for sale, and uh, they weighed out copper coins, and the child was sold, and then the father rebought the child. And then the, the, the child was sold again, and then the father rebought the child. And the third time the child was sold, and the father walked away. He did not rebuy the child. And so that was the first step in the the adoption, which obviously from this word, we get, you know, the word emancipation. So he's emancipated. The child is emancipated from the father in this big ceremony. And then the second part of the ceremony, which is called the vindaxio, is, is where then, you know, there is a witness that takes place in which the patria potesta is now passed on to the new father. And this adoption is complete now when the new father claims the child. It is the consequences of this adoption in Roman culture that I think is so powerful. The fact is that, that once this adoption takes place, the old family is gone. All power that was vested in the old family has been broken, severed. That father who had complete control has zero control now has no word, no say, no power, no influence in the life of the child that has been both emancipated and, and now vindicated, emancipated and vindicated. And so that's this powerful image. This child is now the legitimate property of the new father. Secondly, he became heir to whatever the father owned. Now, sometimes a father would adopt a son because someone else had multiple sons and he had none. Even if sons are born later, the child who has adopted has an equal share in all of it. He can't be unadopted later or, or denied the rights to the father's inheritance. Uh, he is fully a child of the new father. Uh, he is co-heir with future children. He, he is now ingrained in this family. Thirdly, the old life was gone. That person no longer existed. Debts were canceled. Everything from the old life disappeared. The past was washed away. A person was entering into a brand new 
life and the old had no part in it. The past had no part in it. And finally, after the fourth thing in the eyes of the law uh, was the new, he was the child of the new father. She, he or she, the, the, the adopted person was the child of the new father. And this was witnessed legally uh, by seven people. I'll talk about that in a second. So that's what Paul is thinking about when he gives us this metaphor and this image. And so as I read through this passage, I, I see several things that I think uh, are important for us to point out and to think about. So the hope of choosing living over dying is the hope of life expanding instead of diminishing. Uh, verses 12 and 13, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if we live by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If it feels like life is shutting down and it's getting smaller and it's getting more difficult, um, here's just a, you know, you and I are invited to a place in which life is expanding. And Paul says, if the choices that you've been making, if you've been choosing badly or thinking badly, um, sometimes we do both. And life feels like it's beginning to shrink. It's getting smaller and smaller. Then Paul is saying, listen, maybe we need to switch the perspective. We no longer live by the flesh. We, we, we no longer allow those things that are killing off our life, that are taking away our ability to be alive, that are causing little deaths in us. And, and here's some of those things. Pessimism. Gossiping suspicion, grumbling, lack of patience, lack of kindness, lack of gentleness, certainly immorality and all those other things that we consider to be sinful, those things steal away our life. But I think we underestimate that day by day, we are having a choice. We are choosing living over dying. And, and, and all of those things, fear and, and, and tension and they are products of our flesh, and we're invited to, to a life that's expanding. It's getting bigger. It's getting more hopeful. It's getting, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Our life's expanding. It's growing. There's, we're rooted in hope. And so how's that working for you? Are you? We have the hope of living of choosing to live over dying, but that is choice by choice. Excellence is a habit. It's much more of a habit than an occurrence, as Aristotle said. Number two, it's the hope of patient of a patient perspective. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to his quote, but to live according to the spirit. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And, and we're all tempted because we understand this, that following God and living for grace and goodness and patience and gentleness and kindness and thoughtfulness and love and all of that stuff is a long-term proposition. And choices about the flesh, that's about instant gratification. That's about immediacy. That's about results I can see and understand and measure and feel. And so the invitation is for you and I to choose life over death, to choose living over dying, that 
the fact is that in our culture, we've grown tired of the long-term investment for, for much better outcomes in the end. We want something fixed right now. And the reality is that, that in this process, it is the hope of a patient perspective. And Paul's going to talk specifically in the verses ahead about the need for patience and why it matters so much and, and why, who hopes for what they already have. And if we do not yet have it, we wait for it patiently. So it is taking the long view. Are you taking the long view of life? Are you understanding when we stop and we think about this process that we're in and about what's happening to us? Is your life expanding? Do you see this process by which it's opening up? And then secondly, do you see the hope that this is a patient perspective? Do you have patience? Number three, it's the hope of an inner voice. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The existentialists say that it's up to you and me to figure out the meaning of life, to give it its purpose and its its intentionality and to figure it all out. And life is only what we make it. But into that, uh, Paul speaks these words, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, that the Spirit speaks into our hearts and speaks into our lives. And during this kind of crazy week uh, on Wednesday, when all the things were going on, I, I was really sort of in a place of just saying, I want to be quiet. I just want to prayerfully be inviting the Holy Spirit to talk to me about life, about the world, about the culture, about the church, about our response, about who we need to be, about what we're about. You know, you jump on Facebook and you see all that tension and anger and fear and all the things that drive us. And, uh, and to just stop and say, you know what, I don't want to be led by all of that. I'm going to choose living over dying. And when I invest myself in the flesh and I invest myself in things that are, you know, the only hope of the world that I can envision in my head of love and grace and justice is in the power of the spirit and in the power of God. And so we uh, have and live in the hope of being led by the spirit. Number four, uh, it's the hope of overcoming fear. Uh, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to childhood, to sonship, it says. And so that you and I, uh, in this process, as we choose to live by the spirit and not by the flesh, fear has less and less hold on us because we're not living by those things. Living in the flesh is dependent on all the things around us, money and taxes and health and and, uh, you know, all of those things, politics and government and all of that. But living by the Spirit says, in all that stuff, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. And so to continue to think about this is a hope in which we overcome fear. Number five, it's the hope of a secure relationship. Paul says, and by him we call Abba. Father, there's this powerful emotional, this hope is born in a relationship in which we are on a first name basis with the God who loves us, who is a loving father, who, who offers us every imaginable security and protection and support and resource and understanding and empowerment and safety and providence. All of this are present and secure in him. Your hope, your future is secure because you have a Father, you've become, you have become a part of an inheritance of grace and love and fruitfulness and purposefulness and the kingdom of God alive 
on earth. You don't have to choose to see life this way, but it is the biblical invitation. It is a rational choice about how life, and it's the hope of living over dying. Number six, it's the hope of a new identity. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Uh, Here, Paul jumps back into the adoption metaphor. In the Roman culture, seven witnesses had to stand and witness the adoption so that if the father died and some witnesses died, and then sometimes at any point there was a question about the identity of this child to whom this child belonged, then there were multiple witnesses to speak, to stand up and to say in a court of law, no, no, this person has divine right, has right to this inheritance. Now Paul jumps into that image again and says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that reminds us again and again and again of our identity. And maybe on this Sunday morning, you need to take a deep breath and let God speak to you again about your identity. You're not a lost child. You're not out there wandering in the wilderness. You're not alone. You're not an existentialist searching for meaning and creating your own meaning as you go. You're a child of the living God and his spirit bears witness with our spirit. And you ought to take a deep breath maybe and just let that spirit speak uh, to you about your true identity and who you are. Number seven, it's the hope of ultimate purpose. It's the hope of ultimate purpose. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, and indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We are bound up in the same purposes as Christ, and that is bringing the kingdom of God alive on earth to be the body of Christ, to live it out, to live it out every day, every moment, every conversation, every word, every connection, every attitude, every spirit. We take captive every thought and make it subject to the law of Christ and And so we are in the business of spreading light and love and redemption and hope and forgiveness and grace, advocacy, life, all of those things come out of this way in which we have been invited to live. So to just say to you on this Sunday morning, let's choose living over dying. Let me read these words to you. Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. God, would you help us? We invite you into our hearts and minds. Certainly we pray for our country and we pray for the politics and we pray for the politicians and we pray for the best outcomes. And we invite that any form of grace and any form of mercy and any form of justice that could be brought about in these places of human institutions, bring them about, let them be the best they can be, but remind us that our hope is not in these things. We are rooted in a hope that is so much more than this, and that hope invites us to choose living over dying, to choose in ways in which we invest ourselves into an expanding life, into a life that's free from fear, into a life of great patience and understanding that this is a long-term thing we are living for. And I pray that you would work in each of our hearts, that your spirit would bear witness of our true identity, that you would settle hearts and minds, and that you would remind us that we are rooted in hope. And we have a father who loves us. And we have a purpose to bring that kingdom of God to life life on earth. And I pray that you would bring it about in each of us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. 
Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.